Mr. Bill Murray. Looking on, rooting for 61. Leo one. Summer, the 30 for 30 story of the 98 home run run race between McGuire and Sosa airs tonight at 8 o'clock. On the phone with us is the guy who had a front row seat that year. He was the announcer for the Chicago Cubs. It is Chip Carey. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. You? Oh, my gosh. I am fantastic. You know, when I first heard about this, I sent you a text, and I didn't realize that you're in the 30 for 30. You're all over this thing. I, well, I, I, they interviewed me for it, I, I guess, uh, shortly after the, uh, the 2019 baseball season ended uh, at my home here in Florida. So I, I haven't seen an advanced copy. I don't know how much I'm in it. I don't know that I should be in it that much. But uh, as you said, I had a front row seat to a great season on a lot of different levels. And certainly Sosa and McGuire was uh, the highlight of 1998 for me and, uh, and for the Cubs. It was a great, fantastic year. And it'll be fun to go down memory lane tonight whenever it airs. Chip, I've seen it. You're all over this thing. Well, I, I will. I will then take the hit for whatever ratings disaster it turns out to be. <laughs> if that's the case. <laughs> oh man, uh, you and I were both rookies in '98. You came to town, which I found out in the documentary. You were going to work with Harry Carey, your grandfather, that you didn't really know, and you were very excited to come to Chicago. And then, of course, Harry suddenly passed away. Yeah, uh, you know, that story's been told a million times, but obviously. Uh, there's a personal side to 98 that's still very hard to think about, and it's not even it has anything to do with baseball. But as you said, I didn't know uh, Harry very well. Uh, we were hoping to close that loop and get closer, and 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 uh, you know, I just wanted to find out family history. What was it like being an orphan in St. Louis? What was it like being a Cardinal fan in the 1930s and right. following every at bat of Stan Musial's career? And uh, what was it like seeing Jackie Robinson play for the first time? All of those things that those of us who love baseball and love the craft of broadcasting would have loved to have been able to sit and listen and learn and process and then uh, pass along. And then obviously from the family side, uh, it was tragic. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think he would really be looking forward to, to that opportunity to work with me and vice versa. Obviously, that didn't happen. Did you have any expectations going into 98, knowing the Cubs stunk in 97? No, uh, no, I didn't. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. I you know, I grew up in St. Louis, so I wasn't a card. I wasn't a Cub fan, and I, I was obviously worked had worked with the Braves before, so I was aware of the Cubs and I was aware of the history, and obviously had watched the Cubs on WGN. But uh, the Cubs organization and that and that franchise and the fan base, you know, it, it requires total immersion, and I don't think anybody that's from anywhere but Chicago would get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you get there and you understand how passionate and how fervent and how knowledgeable and how much they love that team, uh, that was an adjustment. It really was. And, uh, you know, in the early days of 98 with Steve Stone and Arnie Harris and John McDonough, all of whom were such great people and wonderful friends and huge supporters of mine, uh, it made it very easy for me to buy into that immersion. And I think when you hear my calls and all the stuff that uh, on the highlights, I think you can tell how much I enjoyed it and how much uh, I, I truly felt myself a cub. And uh, I was grateful for so many people allowing me that privilege and that luxury and and um, uh, it was a, a truly joyful experience. And, you know, once a Cub, always a Cub. And there's a big part of me still in that place. And, and uh, to be able to, again, go down memory lane is going to be a lot of fun. Chip, when did you feel like this season was turning around and it turned into a special season? Was it Kerry Woods' 20-strikeout game, May 6, 1998? Or was it the June where Sammy had 20 home runs? 
Well, a little of both. Uh, you know, Kerry Wood was a guy we all heard about, knew about, and, you know, this is before Twitter, before Facebook, so, you know, you've only uh, read snippets of, of, of what his game scores were and all that kind of stuff. He was a kid that threw hard and, and was a highly thought-of prospect, number one pick, but just couldn't throw enough strikes. Well, he comes in in his fifth or sixth major league start and, and turns in what might be, I think, by game scores, the most dominant pitching performance in the history of Major League Baseball, so that was quite an entree. Uh, and I think it gave Cubs fans hope that, you know, this was a veteran team in 98. There were a lot of guys that had been around a long time. Mark Grace, Scott Service, Henry uh, Rodriguez in the outfield. Sammy had been around a while. Uh, Lance Johnson, Steve Traxel, Kevin Tappany. Uh, so it wasn't a collection of young players, but they were good players. And for whatever reason, they gelled. And when Kerry Wood's 20 strikeout game took place, I think that gave everybody a semblance of hope. And look, Cubs fans know all about hope, right? Pre-2016, everybody <laughs> uh, bought Cubs hope year in and year out, right? So right. we see this kid, and you hear, you, know, you hear Ronnie Santo on the broadcast, this guy's going to win multiple Cy Youngs and, you know, win 20 games. And you fervently wanted to believe that was that happened. And then right. Sammy's June took place, and all of a sudden the fairy, trails, the fairy tale started coming true. So those, you're right, were the two big highlights of 98 for me. We're talking with Chip Carey. Long Gone Summer airs tonight, the 30 for 30, about McGuire and Sosa's home run race of 1998 airs tonight at 8 o'clock. At the beginning of June, Chip, uh, McGuire had 27 home runs and Sammy had 14. And then June 1st mm-hmm. hit and it started. Mid-June, what was going through your head? Did you and Stoney, you come from a baseball family. Steve Stone, the Stone Pony, played Major League Baseball. What were you two talking about in June of 98? Just how unprecedented this was, and we couldn't believe what we were seeing. And, uh, you know, I, I know the next logical question is, well, did you suspect anything? Uh, I think there were whispers, but nobody knew. And even if you did, what could you say? You couldn't just flat out accuse somebody of cheating without proof, obviously. Right. Uh, and I'm not here to legislate that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but we did talk about how remarkable what we were seeing was. Uh, 20 home runs in a month was ridiculous. It was great. It was <laughs> unprecedented, quite obviously. Uh, Steve, coming from his pitching background, speculated on a lot of different things, one of which is almost never talked about, and that was expansion. Uh, Three years earlier, you had a couple of new teams that had popped into the uh, major leagues, and uh, the Rockies and the Marlins, so you had diluted pitching staffs, and they weren't quite as deep, and the talent uh, top to bottom on the pitching staffs wasn't quite as good. And was that a contributing factor? Probably so. Um, so we talked about myriad things, but more than anything, we just enjoyed the ride. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always asked, does knowing what we know now or knowing what we think we know now diminish in any way what happened in 1998? And for me, the answer to that is a resounding no. It was uh, great theater. It was great fun. People got into it. And uh, at the end of the day, McGuire and Sosa and all the other guys that were hitting 40 and 50 home runs a year still had to hit it. And uh, that's not easy to do. Otherwise, everyone would have been able to. So uh, tip of the cap, June was amazing. And and that's when I think the race, uh, the home run race, began to right. uh, move to the forefront as much as a potential pennant race for the Cubs. Because remember, they were trying to make the playoffs that year and ultimately did. Right. We had H.A. Uh, Schnock, the uh, director of uh, Long Gone Summer, on yesterday. And I asked him, um, because McGuire, I asked him about uh, Mark McGuire, because he's still uncomfortable in front of the camera when you talk to him. He was so uncomfortable back in the day, but when... When he and Sammy got together, Sammy, of course, so happy and joyful, and McGuire is kind of an introvert and uncomfortable in front of the camera, but when they got together, Sammy brought the best out in him. you agree with that? 
Uh, totally. Uh, you know, Mark was, you know, I, I heard an interview in St. Louis a couple of weeks ago where Mark said he would really just have to get in his own head and stay there because of all the demands and all the things that were going on. He still had to go out and perform, and that's not easy if you're not comfortable, you know, talking with the media. And the more home runs he hit, quite obviously, the more media that would appear. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, Steve Stone had said that uh, he thinks someone got to Mark and said, look, Sammy in Chicago's enjoying this. He might as well enjoy this and, and make the best of it because the media's not going away, and you have a chance to do something that's you know never been done before and I, I think the joy and the fun that sammy had with it was coming from a place where you know quite frankly when he said mark mcguire was the man well mark was mark led the home run chase all but one day i think uh in in deep september and so sammy had the luxury of just being happy go lucky and if Mark hit one, he hit one, and if McGuire led by one or two, no big deal, because Sammy, I think, understood there were bigger fish to fry, and that was trying to get the Cubs to the postseason. But Sammy played it brilliantly, a million megawatt smile, you know, the kissing of the camera, and I think in Chicago, <laughs> I would not presume. I would, I mean, I would not presume to know what the mindset of a Chicago fan was. But remember, we're at the tail end of Michael Jordan and all of that, right? Right. So the city, I think, was looking for another beacon, another beaming personality that they could embrace, and uh, for that summer in '98. Sammy became that guy, and uh, you know the, the the Cubs were at least in that season no longer lovable losers. They were just lovable, and Sammy, from that perspective, on from the outside looking in, and uh, through the magic of television, he was the guy that that city rallied around, and um, he he ate it up. He ate, he loved every minute of it, and good for him. Boy, Chip, you hit the nail on the head because that was it for Michael Jordan. We were all so depressed, and once the Bulls won, of course we were happy, but we needed something else. And there, sure. there was Sammy in June. And that's what we all claimed yeah. on to. You're absolutely right. Think about that. Your first summer in Chicago, you have Kerry Wood throwing the 20 strikeout game. The Bulls win their sixth championship and Sosa hits 20 home runs in June. You got to be thinking this is pretty good. It was pretty good. If I'd known I was going to be that big of a good luck charm, all the Chicago teams should have hired me a decade earlier. Uh, uh, but no, it was, it, again, it was a magical time. Uh, you know, yeah. as, as I said before, I, I love where I work and I love the people I work for, and it was time to go when I left. But having said that, uh, you know, being around Wrigley Field, day baseball, young family, uh, falling in love with, you know, the culture and the city and, and the people there and, you know, just great Midwestern folks who are passionate uh, baseball fans. Uh, at that age, uh, at, my, at my baseball age, I should say, it was really a, a great, great time to, to be there. And uh, I'm, I'm to this day still incredibly, incredibly grateful to a lot of people who uh, helped make that almost impossible transition for me personally as smooth and seamless as possible. And I consider all of those people great friends. And as I said, I, I have nothing but uh, but happy memories of my time uh, with the Cubs and, and Chicago. I just we'd ha- wish we'd had a few more winning seasons uh, right. beyond 1998. You and everybody else. We're talking with Chip Carey. Long gone summer. Chip is in this tonight, the 30 for 30 with uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa about the home run race of 98. When you look at the previous years with home runs, Sammy in uh, 95, 96, 97, he had 25, 36, and 36 home runs. Didn't even hit over 40 home runs. And then you have McGuire, who hit 39, 52, and 1997, he led the league with 58 home runs. So you knew McGuire was going to be there. And then Junior had 56 home runs. And then Junior falls out of contention, and there's McGuire, and there's Sosa. That's how it ended up. Do, were, were you were you yeah. surprised that Junior dropped so quickly? 
No, uh, you know, he, he, Junior was one of my all-time favorite players. I got to see him in Seattle, where I worked for a couple of years before I came to Chicago, and he was and still is one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, what happened to Ken Griffey Jr. was he played so hard, he played himself into injury. I mean, he would. I remember a game against the Cubs uh, in Cincinnati in their new ballpark. I think it might have been the first year of the Great American Ballpark. Paul Bacco hit a shot toward the left center field gap. Junior dives, and I think he ruptured his spleen trying to make a play. Uh, in the outfield, he just kept he just kept getting hurt and smashing into walls and stuff because that's the only way he knew how to play. And uh, you know, I, I was calling games in Seattle when he hit uh, homers in seven straight games, and I think he hit uh, he hit a ball off Kevin Tappany, the Twins, that hit the, the yellow line of the Kingdom that would have been eight homers in eight games, which would have of course tied the major league record. There was nothing he couldn't do, mm-hmm. and. Uh, loved watching him play, played the game the right way. And to your point, uh, a lot of people around baseball, yeah, thought it was going to be Mark McGuire and Ken Griffey Jr. who would threaten the Roger Maris record before anybody else. And uh, as you said, unfortunately for Griffey, uh, he got hurt. And I really believe that had Jr. not gotten hurt, uh, we'd be talking about him hitting well over 700 home runs as a Cincinnati Red at the end of his career. It's a shame that didn't happen. Right. Mark McGuire, there's so many magical moments that people are going to see tonight. His first is bat, first at bat in Little League was a home run. I mean, there's magical moments along. I can't remember all of them, and people will see it tonight, but he hit number 61 on his dad's 61st birthday. He hit number 62 in the bottom of the fourth, like Roger Maris, when Roger Maris broke the record. So many of those moments in McGuire's career. I wonder if he enjoyed it as he was doing it, or was he stressed out? Because sometimes when you're in it, you just don't enjoy it as much. I think he, I think he enjoyed it. Again, listening to an interview uh, on the station in St. Louis last week, I think he enjoyed it once it was over. Uh, the Cardinals team that year wasn't particularly good, and it was a grind. He said the final weekend to Tony Lewis, "Look, I'm spent. I'm done." And Tony said, "Look, man, you got to grind it out. You've got a chance to do something that, that's never been done before." And I think he hit five homers in the final weekend of the season to pass Sammy and and, and get to seventy. Uh, but to your point about magical moments, for me personally, being there when he broke the record in St. Louis. Look, I grew up there. Uh, know how passionate Cardinals fans are, know how knowledgeable they are. Remember, there was all the fight about how much the baseball would be worth and how people were fighting to get this thing and how much they'd auction it off for. Right. The ball creeps over the fence. It ricochets under the stands. A groundskeeper kid who's about to go to college finds it, hands the ball to McGuire, and people are buying him cars and getting his college education paid for. That was awesome. But for me personally, as a broadcaster and growing up in St. Louis, looking to my left at Old Bush Stadium and seeing Jack Buck, uh, the legendary oh. voice of the Cardinals, and his red jacket standing and crying and applauding um me that's um you know that's the beauty and pageantry of baseball and again not looking back at what we think we know but in the moment uh that's the kind of love affair i think all of us who do what we do have with the game and quite frankly in today's climate i wish there were more people who would look at baseball uh the way jack buck looked at baseball that night it was magical and uh i I get goosebumps and almost come to tears when i think about it right i uh, mentioned this yesterday to aj schnock the director of long gone summer i grew up in peoria which is half cubs half cardinals my father was a cub fan sure We'd watch the Cub games with Jack Brickhouse during the day before Harry, and then at night, my mother would have Jack Brick or um, Jack Buck on every single night. So that voice is in my head, and I can still hear him announcing those games. You're right, man. They don't make them like they used to. No, they don't. Uh, you know, they were they were you know they were birthed in radio. Uh, yeah. You know, they yep. were storytellers. They were. You know, guys that uh, created a theater uh, of the mind, and uh, it's a much different game now. TV rules the roost. Um, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It just is what it is. 
Uh, but the guys like Jack Brickhouse, Jack Buck, uh, Vince Lloyd, I mean, go down the whole list in Chicago uh, of, of people who are so great on the radio. Uh, the romance of the sport has changed. It's now instant and video and highlights and all of that. And thank God that's how I feed my family. <laughs> uh, but those of us who've done, but those of us who've done both, I would tell you that uh, if given a choice, if the money were equal, I think most guys would say I would love to do radio uh, because of what I just said. You are ultimately the you know the the painter of a blank canvas uh, with every ball game and no two games are alike. And uh, guys like Marty Brenneman who just retired, uh, those guys are kind of the last vestige of that era. And those are the guys that I identify with as I'm 55 years old now, hard to believe. Uh, but they're, they're great at what they did. Jack Buck was awesome. And uh, uh, there'll never be another one like him. That's for sure. And uh, Chip, before you go, I have to ask you about baseball. Do you think they're finally going to set the money aside and make an agreement? They're going to come together. They're going to negotiate and make this thing happen. And we're going to see a season this year. Well, it's a two-part question. Are they going to put the money aside? Of course not. Uh, that's what this is about. All about it's unfortunate. Green. It's unseemly. Yeah. It's wrong. Uh, it's terrible, in my opinion. Uh, I do believe that, uh, uh, you know, as much as uh, I, I don't want to try to take sides here, um, I, I don't understand what the owners are doing. I really don't get it. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you don't want to play, you don't. And you can't, you can't capitalize the profits and socialize the losses. And whether we want to agree with whether the players are underpaid or overpaid, or not uh businesses have down years you recoup you lick your wounds and you go back and you battle and you you work harder and make more money the next year and quite frankly uh it would seem to me that if it's that bad uh baseball can expand in a couple of years and add two teams for three billion dollars if they want to right Uh, that's just my opinion uh will we have baseball yeah uh the worst case scenario would be no baseball the second worst case scenario would be an imposition of 48 or 54 games uh the best case scenario would be Pay, pay the players their prorated rate, defer some of the money till the next two years, and let's get the game on the field as many as we can so we have a legitimate season, and let's start start to build bridges instead of tearing them down because if this is a precursor of what we're going to see after 2021, man, oh, man, I don't know how the sport's going to be able to uh, to overcome this. Um, it's, the, it's the wrong argument at the wrong time, yes. and uh, uh, unfortunately I think a lot of fans are tuning it out, and that's bad for all of us. I agree 100%. Chip, it's great to hear your voice, man. We'll see you tonight in the 30 for 30 long gone summer and we're going to have to call Grant and have a beer here in Chicago at Harry Carey's when you're free. I am ready, and I, more than that, I need a haircut, for God's sake, so I apologize in advance. I don't know how the moss looked on the show, but we'll see how it goes. But thanks for having me on, and all the best everybody in Chicago. You're the best. Take care. That is Chip Carey, everybody. All right. The two on to Sammy. Swung on, high drive, deep toward right. Back goes Guerrero. He's at the wall, and Sammy unties the game. And that's home run number one. There's going to be a lot more for Sammy this year as the fans give him a tremendous ovation.